0: What we do here is go back, 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 back,
1: back, back. And welcome into episode 17 of the Two and a Half Marks Podcast. My name is David Stadman, and as always, I am joined by my good friends, Angelo Inglisa, who is currently eating Chick-fil-A as we record. And and Jake Long, yeah, not a sponsor. I wish if they want it, you know. Hey, if uh, if uh, Dennis Chick Fil A wants to send us money, <laughs> <laughs> I welcome it. Hit my PayPal, Joey Bag of Fries, uh, and and Jake Long is here as well as we rewatch and relive and remember a random pay per view on the WWE network every week, and got to get one this week. We have Vengeance two thousand three. If you remember, we went back and uh watched a i think it was unforgiven 2003 correct a couple of months uh, just a couple of weeks ago we're back in the same time period but this was after the brand split and whereas the last one was a raw exclusive pay-per-view this is a smackdown exclusive pay-per-view so a whole different group of guys whole different group of storylines they do not really intersect at all so a bunch of different things to talk about should be a good one what's going on boys
2: I just need to apologize off the bat because I already know I'm going to be chewing or eating something and start talking. Or you're going to hear uh, my large sweet tea, which is Chick-fil-A's best feature. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not so much on the same board as you with the uh, this being a good show. There are definitely good moments, and there's definitely a lot of good guys. But as far as a card, I was left with a
1: lot to be desired. There's some good and there's some bad. I feel like the good is really good and the bad is
2: pretty bad. I think that covers it, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Angela, your chewing will only be like the third most annoying thing you do tonight anyway, so don't worry about it that much. The podcast Um,
2: will still sound better than our
0: first episode. (laughs) Let's not talk about that. So I I loved it. I had a really good time watching it. And it's funny to think about because I think about like the SmackDown, quote-unquote, only pay-per-views from like 2000. Like eighteen, I think, isn't that whenever the brand split started again? Yeah, I mean, whenever I it think,
1: was. Uh, I don't know, there I think it might have been sixteen. I think it might 16. have been sixteen. Whenever, whenever it
0: like whenever those brand split pay per views were, and they were they they were very bad. Like this one had names up and down the list, so
2: I liked it a lot. I think they should go back to brand split, and I know it would stink right now because they don't have the talent on the top it's of the not card. everybody. But I don't know. I feel like you you have to kind of like build guys up and the way you build guys up is by giving them time on pay-per-views. It's all about the creative that creates a story to make it a, you know, pay-per-view match and right now that's where does WWE struggle with?
0: WWE yeah. making new stars couldn't
1: be them. Couldn't be them. But yeah, I mean we 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 currently live in this world where we have a brand split, but we don't have the brand exclusive pay-per-views. Yes. So you then end up having 38 different titles and then when the pay-per-view comes, all of the spots on the pay-per-view are reserved for, like, the 38 different titles being defended. And so there's no other, like, kind of storyline matches and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's – I think there's a positive and a negative towards the the brand split as far as that's concerned. That's because, kind of why I like
2: Payback, to be honest. Because Payback had the uh, – it wasn't a lot of title matches on the card.
0: Yeah, yeah. And especially like, like like all the Rona era pay-per-views have been that, where it's just been, here's two and a half hours of the guys, take it. And it's like, yeah, no, I actually like this a lot.
1: Yeah, I honestly think I've genuinely enjoyed, obviously you miss like the ambiance of the crowd and just the, you know, the environment. That is like the biggest miss, but I think in terms of content alone, I've enjoyed the Rona pay-per-views. More cinem- than I probably have, like the 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 pay per views, like from the previous year with fans before yeah. there was a pandemic killing everybody.
0: Remember uh, the Money in the Bank um, cinematic match? Yeah, that was a lot of a fun. lot of people. A <laughs> lot of
1: people thought that was dumb, but I enjoyed the hell I had out of, a lot of that. A of fun watching that. I you wish know? they'd do something with Otis though. Oof, Otis. Otis <laughs> is going to end up. Ca- Otis is going to end up cashing in on like the Ring of Honor Championship. <laughs> it's going to be sweet. <laughs> Watch out, PCO. He's coming for you, boy. <laughs> but without further ado, I, I think it's... You guys ready to, to, to get it going for Vengeance 2003? Let's, let's get, remember some guys. Let's get to let's the remember, guys. Let's remember some guys. Boys, it is July 27, 2003. We are at the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. Uh, 95 9,500 people in the arena. Uh, an arena, of course, that was... Featured multiple times on the television show South Park. Uh, The only WWE uh, arena to have uh, had that happen. And uh, it's a SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view, as I mentioned. We've got the classic SmackDown commentary team of Michael Cole and Taz on the call. And we are starting off with a barn burner of a match. We've got two of the best workers of all time. Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit for the vacant WWE United States Championship, a vacant title. They had just reactivated the WWE United States Championship after it had been vacant. The United States Championship was brought over from WCW, was deactivated after the invasion angle, which, of course, we talked about a great bit last week, and they brought it back as the mid-card title for SmackDown. And so this is the finals of a tournament to become the new WWE United States champion. So we have Eddie Guerrero come out in the the classic Eddie entrance with the low rider. And he's, you know, popping the low rider on the stage. License plate says, for you haters, which is badass. There has Me, never uh, been, there has never been a a time ever where a, a wrestler has entered in a car and it wasn't sweet even JBL who <laughs> sucks and we hate him even JBL made that cool what about that time Rusev came out in a tank that's that's like i mean there's there's different levels obviously <laughs> but if you're entering in a motorized vehicle it's cool even even like on NXT Shotzi Blackheart with her little tiny baby tank that she drives out to the ring that's still cool
2: What if someone came out on a
1: hoverboard? Oh, my God. I mean, Darby (laughs) Allin does the skateboard. That's cool. I don't know about a hoverboard. Well, Simon Dean, if you remember Simon Dean, I'm going to pull this one out of my ass. On 2005, SmackDown used to come to the ring on a Segway. Oh, yes, yes. That was not cool. (laughs) So I think we found the one exception.
2: There we go. We found the line.
1: The... If you're if you're gonna if you're gonna check off a uh, a a part of my uh, row on the the bingo card the two net marks bingo card the coolest motorized vehicle entrance in history Masahiro Chono against Atsushi Onita at the Tokyo Dome when he drove out to the ring in an enormous like sixty thousand pound Humvee cool That's on, that,
0: that is on the bingo card David mentions an obscure Japanese wrestling match dope
1: people. It's the best. It's a, there's another it's a, one. It, barbed wire exploding ring death match in the Tokyo Dome. So there's sick.
0: A, there's another bingo card uh, notch coming up here
1: soon. We'll see if we get it. Okay. Well, we'll see. So, but, you know, it's Eddie and it's Benoit. Both guys are over. As someone who grew up as a SmackDown fan when I got into wrestling in the early two th- or mid-2000s, hearing this Chris Benoit music is such, like, heavy nostalgia. Top notch. Huge pop for Benoit, and they really kind of promote this like a big title fight. I mean, they do like the boxing style face-off as the referee reads the instructions, which they never do in any other match. He asks them to shake hands, and then they don't shake hands. So we start off, they just do some really, really good technical wrestling early on in this match. This is the point where these guys have gotten juiced up right now in 2003 to the point where they don't wrestle at the same pace as they do when they were younger, but it's still technically just a fantastic match. These are again, two of the best workers of the last 30 years. Um, So they do a bunch of really good technical wrestling early on. Eddie hits a great pop-up hurricane Rana. Um, A great just series of like pinning attempts back and forth. Benoit hits a shoulder breaker. He teases the cross face early on, but Eddie gets him to the ropes Chris hits a suicide dive to the outside. They come back in. Eddie hits a top rope Frankensteiner, hits a huge backdrop suplex for a two count. Benoit comes back, hits a back suplex off the top rope for a huge, like just a huge bump. Like Eddie bounces like five feet in the air off the suplex for a two count. Benoit goes for the three German suplexes in a row and Eddie is like jumping so much for these, like the height that he gets on these suplexes is insane. Eddie reverses out of the third one. Benoit turns it into the cross face. Again, Eddie barely gets to the bottom rope. Eddie comes back. He hits the first two of the three Amigos suplexes, but then on the third one, he goes up, hits a superplex off the top rope. He goes for the frog splash, but this was a little weird. Benoit moves out of the way, but he kind of does it a little bit late, and like Eddie still catches him on the way down. So he, like he's supposed to sell like he missed, but he actually did kind of hit him. Um, Benoit hits a powerbomb for a two-count, puts him back in the cross face. Eddie, for the third time, again, barely gets to the ropes. And then we get a ref bump. Eddie smashes Benoit with the belt, hits the frog splash. The referee is dazed. The count is too slow. Benoit kicks out. Eddie then tries, like, you know, this is classic Eddie Guerrero shenanigans. You know, we love, we love Eddie, the, just kind of the, almost the Toru Yano-esque kind of comical cheating that we all love. Um, he hits the referee with the bat in the back with the belt and then throws the belt to Benoit, like throws the belt on Benoit and then pretends that he gets knocked out. And so in his mind, like the referee is supposed to wake up and see that Eddie is out and Benoit is holding the belt. So obviously Benoit hit him with the belt and you call the disqualification. You give Eddie the win. But he just killed the ref. So the ref never wakes up. And so Eddie's lying there, like, trying at the same time to wake the ref up but also pretend to be dead at the same time. Very funny visual. And then Benoit comes in, puts Eddie in the crossface. Eddie taps out, but the ref doesn't see it because he's still dead. So Eddie gets up. He swings the belt at Benoit, and he misses. Benoit hits the German suplex. Benoit hits the, goes for the diving head, but but again, Eddie pulls the ref into the way. So the ref is just getting the hell beaten out of him in this match. Finally, we get to the end of the match. This is our second show in a row that we get Rhino coming in out of nowhere and attacking somebody. Rhino sprints out. He hits the gore on Benoit. Eddie gets up. He does the shrug at the camera like, all right, well, I'm going to take this. Hits the frog splash on Chris Benoit, and Eddie Guerrero Pins Chris Benoit in 22 minutes and 14 seconds. Longest match on the card. Great technical working in this match. And Eddie Guerrero is the United States champion.
0: So my current hair is is what I, I, I should say. I wish that my hair looked like Eddie Guerrero's hair in this match. Because that's like my favorite hairstyle of all time. I just think it works so well for him. He had the sides a little shaved. The top kind of long and shaggy. I just really wish, but, uh, I love Eddie Guerrero with all of my heart. And I had a, I had a really good talk today with some people because I was talking about like, I, I was talking to them about who Chris Benoit was. And, um, you know, I was like, it feels weird to talk about him. Um, we've talked about Chris Benoit before. And if you're listening and you aren't familiar, just look up the Benoit uh, murder suicide. It'll be the first thing that comes up. I guarantee it. Read the story about it. Uh, it's just it's very weird to me to talk about Chris Benoit because his his matches are always phenomenal. But my conversation with them was about can you separate the art from the artist? and i I don't really think there's a correct answer to that, but it was just a very good conversation about the ethics of it and everything. Um, and if anybody wants anybody listening would like to have that conversation, I'm more than willing. I love stuff like that. Eddie's great. Chris is great. However, the ref made all of us look bad. Can we, can we yes. agree on that? Yeah. yeah. They made refs look like chumps, okay? I think I could take a, a shot and, and be okay. I'm just saying.
1: But I- you see, like, you're you're an actual, like, basketball referee. <laughs> but you could never be a wrestling referee because you're too big. <laughs> and so, like, the referees in wrestling need to all either be, A, like, older guys or be just little shrimpy nerds
2: Hi. who can get who can get killed. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, so when we inevitably start our own promotion, I am definitely the official. Was it wait, this was Kyoto though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I mean like Kyoto's not a little dude. He's well respected. Like the He's A, did come on uh, AEW and like sign with them and it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, and after... I'm so sad that there's no that there's not a crowd because they definitely would have been
1: giving off Kyoto chance. Yeah. I mean, you could guarantee when he showed up on Dynamite a couple of weeks ago, you would have huge Mike Kyoto chance. Mike, and it sucks. yeah.
2: but <laughs> And Jake, you mentioned the discussion with Benoit on like yeah. the, the entire murder suicide. And I mean, this is a match where he's prominently featured. And it feels like a good spot for us to have this discussion. I still remember that fresh because they were doing the Vince McMahon is dead angle. And then the first the first night on Raw, you have Vince come out there and say like talk about kind of break kayfabe essentially and talk about what's going on. And they did it as a in memoriam to Chris Benoit, and it's really hard to separate again separating the art from the artist because Benoit, by all accounts, wasn't this awful person behind the scenes. It, it he wasn't like a you know oh man he's a horrible person he doesn't help anyone out he's really jaded all that fun stuff. He was just a genuine like everyday wrestler right, when it comes to WWE guys and was just one case of I I know they're labeling it as Road uh Roid Rage, but it's really hard to understand like what exactly happened that day and why but even more so, WWE just sweeping it under the rug and saying, This is just something we do not talk about. We do yeah, not mention we, about go, about we don't mention Manwa at all. Yeah, can we talk about how on the on the network
0: they just take his name away from it? So, like, like what David and I was talking about is how at WrestleMania 23, is that right,
1: David? Not 23. More like 21, I think.
0: Okay, 21. It was Benoit, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels?
1: Yes. In, a, in the
0: main event. Threat. And the WWE Network just says Shawn Michaels and Triple H compete in a triple threat match. But they still have the match in its entirety on there. And it's like, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish by that. Maybe maybe the reason I don't understand, but
1: they've always gone to really like almost weirdly comical lengths to ever avoid mentioning Chris Benoit. Like, like there's like there have been times where they were like talking about uh, like that specific triple threat, and like they where they talk about the match like Triple H and Shawn Michaels went at it at in this WrestleMania triple threat match for the championship, but they were so focused on each other that the You know, the third man ended up winning the match. I mean, never say the guy's name. And and it
0: almost brings more attention to, like, to this idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I'll say this, too. I'm I'm not meaning to offend anybody. If anybody disagrees, please reach out. I'll have the conversation with you. I'm willing to listen. But these are just my – this is just where I'm at in my head. Like, it just seems weird, I guess, how they do it. Rather than just acknowledging it and saying, yes, we understand the situation
2: ultimately it's a tragedy either way you look at it. I mean, it, yeah, we're not, yeah, we're not glorifying what happened. We're not glorifying the event that happened. Yeah. But we can I look think, back and recognize that like Benoit in the ring was a super fun guy to watch. Yeah. yeah I, I think
1: you can, I mean, you don't even need to necessarily talk about like, you know, gush on and on and on about how great Chris Benoit was. And he legitimately is, I mean, one of the great wrestlers who ever lived. Yes. But, you can acknowledge his existence without glorifying him because of what he did at the end of his life. I mean, Absolutely. you know, in, in you know, when when people like, for instance, if you know, people don't pretend that, like, for instance, OJ Simpson never existed in the NFL. Right. Like, you know, they they will acknowledge like, yeah, OJ Simpson ran for two thousand yards. In
2: fact, he's having. But they're a not going to say,
1: yeah, they're just going to, they're not going to like. They're not going to take his name out of the record book. It will be there. But you're not going to maybe have a paragraph about how great he was. Right. So, right. I mean, I, there's a way to both acknowledge it, but also not glorify it. I mean, you know, Chris Benoit, you know, won the WWE championship at the, at the main event of WrestleMania. You don't need to like, because it happened. I mean, we saw it happen. And it it was, you know, it was there. You can't pretend that the past didn't happen.
0: Yeah, d- WWE wants that revisionist history that we've talked about before, where they control the entire narrative of everything, and and I feel like that kind of
2: falls into that too. They're more creative with that than they are with their creative in storylines today. boom! <laughs>
1: Angelo and Glisa shoots on the WWE booking. <laughs> All right,
2: but back to the let's let's talk about the match now. Uh, because uh, we've been talking about this for ten minutes now, but it's again, it's just a fascinating case because both these guys we great wrestlers. They're great characters in WWE, WWF. And the fact that they were gone five years after this match occurs, like within five years, it's a re- it's a shame in tor- terms of like the possible stories we get with WWE if they're still around. Uh, one of the first notes I do have on this and David, I'm glad you mentioned him is Eddie versus Toru Yano. Who wins? <laughs> Who would win this match? I mean, Eddie,
1: Eddie was like, I don't know Toriano is like more played up as like a comical guy. Like, I feel like you see some parallels in sort of the cheating that they do and like just sort of the weird, like just love that they have for cheating and just how much they enjoy doing it. But like at the end of the day, Eddie was always taken more seriously than like Yano was, you know, Eddie was a champion. Eddie was like a top contender. Whereas Yano is like kind of a comedy mid card guy. So it's like they have some some parallels in sort of how they would mess around during matches. But at the end of the day, Eddie was, a seri- was always taken seriously as a top guy.
2: But could Eddie get out of the paradise lock? Nobody can get
1: out of the paradise lock. Uh, I mean, if you are put in the paradise lock, you're done. <laughs> so, I mean. Good day. Sucks for you, bro.
2: But, again, this match was just so much seamless wrestling, like chain wrestling. There was just really never a dull moment in this match. The height Benoit was getting on his Germans was just preposterous. Both these guys selling to the best of their ability. Like, Eddie, early in the match, selling that shoulder block like he was in a car accident. Uh Just, again, both these guys were just so talented. Um Eddie's tactics. I, I was literally laughing the first time I was watching this while he was trying to cheat his way to a win. It was just super funny. You hear the crowd laughing too. And it's great that like, you don't see stuff like that with WWE anymore that's taking seriously, cause this was a very serious match, but you have time for some comedy moments. Uh, overall, I thought they played the botch pretty well and another rhino interference with gore. So. I enjoyed this match. This match was a great starter. I think ultimately that's kind of the reason why I was always so mad on the rest of this card is because this was just so much fun of an opener that nothing really compared to it until I think the main event.
1: Yeah. I technically, I just thought this was a magnificent match to watch. I mean, you're literally again, like I mentioned, this is the point where they started to get a little bigger and they slowed down somewhat in terms of the pace that they worked, but they were still just tremendous. way like, at everything that they did,
0: I don't think and you're going the thing.
1: What 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 is the thing I was going to say, Jacob?
0: I wanted to see if David mentions just trading holds,
1: dude. I love trading holds, man. That's my favorite. That's <laughs> my favorite my favorite type of wrestling, man. I love trading holds. holds, man. I love getting in there and trading holds, man. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to do, man. I got some holes you want to hours, trade? Bro. I love trading <laughs> holes. But also, I did write this thing down. This is uh, unrelated to the match, but I did write this down in my notes for the match. Shout out. Big shout out to this guy, uh, whoever it was, in the first row of the Pepsi Center on July 27, 2003, wearing a Curtis Martin Jets I noticed shirt. that, too. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How'd that make you feel,
1: Ange? I was like, wow, there's
2: Jets fans in Denver.
1: It was in Denver, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's Denver, it's high up in the air, Jets, you know, just a low. Cool, man. I respect it. I hated him when I was a kid. Let me tell you. <laughs> David okay. Got heat for Curtis Martin. Big Curtis Martin heat. David Statman shoots on Curtis Martin. <laughs> Martin. <laughs> okay. So we move on. Next matchup. So we go from really just good ass wrestling, like some of the best stuff you'll see, right? Next up, we've got, uh, we're, we're swinging to the other end of the pendulum. We've got Billy Gunn versus the pride of Wyoming County, West Virginia, Jamie Noble. And essentially, uh, if Jamie Noble wins, he gets to fuck Tori Wilson. That's essentially the storyline of this match. We're really <laughs> earning that explicit which, rating today. You know, it was 2003 WWE, you know, we've talked about it but you know so that's the way that it is so i can complain i I don't understand the storyline because like (laughs) jamie noble in storyline had his own girlfriend nydia right yeah but he's just decided like hey nydia like we're cool but i'm gonna go here and try to fuck tori wilson like i hope you're okay with that (laughs) he just has decided tori wilson in storyline is like billy Gunn's girlfriend i guess and Jamie Noble just wants to fuck her really bad. So that's. I think this is a
2: playmate. Well, a yeah. I mean, she's. I
1: mean, you know, it's Tori Wilson, you know, but that's it. So Billy Young comes out. Uh, he I'm an ass the I'm
2: a nice
1: man. Greatest theme in the history of wrestling. I'm um, an ass man. Greatest theme in the history of wrestling. He comes out. My favorite line from that song. I, It's a line that I think about a lot. And I quote, so many asses, so little time. (laughs) Isn't Boy, isn't that true for all of us, Billy? (laughs) Boy, isn't that true for all of us? But so like, this is like some of the worst, like Vince Russo type shit I've ever seen in my life. And I think and I know it was Paul Heyman booking this, but you know, I've always noticed that Paul Heyman loves booking cuck angles. I don't know if that's what he's into or what, but (laughs) <laughs> he booked a bobby lashley lana one just like last year
0: oh god he did yeah
1: yeah oh, i don't Jesus. know he likes this stuff hey i love paulie i think he's a one of the great minds in wrestling but you know keep your keep your kinks to yourself buddy so uh Paul, david shoots on paulie <laughs> so jamie comes out um and this is like one of the most insane promo. he cuts one of the most insane promos in the history of wrestling so billy's in the ring with tory jamie comes out toting a suitcase and he says in his like thick west virginia accent he's like i've got my love case and it's filled with all my sex oils and my sex toys (laughs) it's like who is this for You know, I'm just sitting here watching this, (laughs) wondering who this (laughs) is. What's the market? (laughs) I don't know what this is appealing to, but so we we this he's cutting this promo, and Billy runs out. He boots the case into his face. He puts the case on the ring steps. He opens up. It's legit, just like filled with dildos. Like it's it's legit, just like it's it's a love case. Like it, it is exactly what Jamie Noble advertised it to be. So we start the match. And Billy's just beating the hell out of Jamie Noble. On commentary throughout this relatively short match, Taz is asking Michael Cole just very personal sexual questions. Just incredibly uncomfortable all the way around. Um, Noble legitimately a really good worker. Uh, you know, he does a pescado to the outside and, and Billy catches him, but then his knee goes out. Um, and then Jamie Noble just starts working that leg and he's working that leg. Finally, Billy takes over. He, at one point, I, I thought this was kind of cool. He hits this, like, sweet kind of hip-toss neckbreaker that if you watch AEW Dark, his son Austin is now using that same move as his finisher, that hip-toss neckbreaker that Billy Gunned does. So I guess Billy must have taught it to him. Cool move. Goes for the fame uh he but uh, Noble turns it into a cutter for a two-count. Um, Noble, who's a smaller guy... Does some really just cool-looking bumps in this match. Nydia comes out. And, of course, Nydia doesn't want to have to watch her boyfriend cheat on her on live TV. So she's also, while Tori is trying to help Billy win, Nydia's also trying to help Billy win. So Jamie hits a top rope DDT, goes for the pin, but Nydia puts Billy's foot on the ropes. Um, He goes to the outside. Tori tries to slap Jamie Noble, but Jamie blocks the slap and then just like violently, like forcibly kisses her on the outside, which again is like a thing that you would see in WWE at this time. Um, finally, both the women slap him and they toss him into the ring, but then Jamie Noble rolls up Billy with an O'Connor roll and pins him in about five minute, just five minute long match, and so Jamie Noble will get to have sex with Tori Wills.
2: The gunslinger
1: is a cool move,
2: but this match peaked the moment Billy Gunn came out. <laughs> this match oh. peaked, at least for me, when he opened the
1: case and it was actually filled with dildos. I because w- I wanted to know if the case was actually had anything in it, but it did deliver, and I was like, oh, okay. At least they like followed that through. I wonder. And then I was ready to be move on from the match.
0: I wonder who like who they hired to fill that suitcase. Like it I, is wonder, probably- I wonder.
1: It was probably they, all stuff from Paul Heyman's bedside table.
0: They definitely got like, I don't know, like some underwriter or something like that to be like, hey, here's what we need. Yeah. And they, they just sent him out and they were like, here's $1,000. Get what yeah. you can. <laughs> uh, they, this was, oh my God, I hate this. David, you were going to say something funny. No, here. I was,
1: I was going to be like, they, they probably like sent Brian Kendrick to go to like, <laughs> go to the sex store and be like, all right, Rook. I need you to buy 20 dildos.
0: <laughs> oh my God. This like Jamie Noble's gimmick should be arrested. It is just absolutely ridiculous. I, I don't know. Like you said, I don't know what the target audience, because like, okay, you've got two, two women dance, like wrestling and lingerie, whatever. I get what you're trying to do. It's still bad, but I understand it. Who, who is invested in this angle? Who likes it? Like not know, casuals, no. not marks like us. Uh, I'm speaking llama.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing good, else. Uh, Survivor Kagayan reference there by Jake. I've got to speak, speak
0: llama to you. My eyes go bing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's going on right now,
0: <laughs> Survivor dude? This is this is a podcast about Survivor and this wrestling. is
1: now a podcast about Survivor Kagayan. <laughs> You know, I knew that Sarah was going to destroy the game. And I said, if someone's going to destroy the game, I want to destroy it.
0: All right, Jamie Noble, we'll get to the next one.
1: <laughs> okay, so this – okay, so, you know, this sucked. We're done. So next up, we have the uh, APA Invitational barroom Brawl. So it's literally just, you know, the APA, the great tag team of uh, – uh, JBL and Farouk Ron Simmons who were just really you know cool guys who like to drink and fight everyone loved them back in the day um they're doing a barroom brawl and they legit have like a bar set kind of set up next to the ramp and they have you know a little comical segment before the match where Funaki who is doing his uh like kind of stereotypical Japanese guy do uh like announcer backstage interviewer Does kind of a weird interview with uh, JBL. And then, you know, the Easter Bunny shows up for some reason. So the Easter Bunny's in this match. Um, And then, you know, they invite Funaki to the match. So they legit have like a bar set up at the entrance ramp. And I was looking through the just list of guys in this match. And it is, I mean, we're talking about remembering guys. We love to remember guys. I'm just going to go through this list. I mean, we don't need to spend a lot of time on all these guys, but I want to – all of these guys are just it's, – it's phenomenal. So we have the Brooklyn Brawler, just the quintessential jobber of all time. A guy. We have Chuck Palumbo. In its a guy. Range. Big old guy. Who better than Canyon? Chris Canyon. Ooh, definitely rest, a guy. Rest in peace. Great worker. We have the Conquistadors, the two masked, you know, masked luchadors – Luchadors, in quotes. Quote, unquote. A lot of people over the course of time have played the Conquistadors. Edge and Christian were the Conquistadors at one point. (coughs) Um, I just like weird half-coughed. That was really uncomfortable. (laughs) Christopher Daniels was a Conquistador for a long time. This time, the Conquistadors are being played by, it would appear, uh, Johnny from the Spirit Squad and Rob Conway. Rob Rob Conway. Conway. Rob Conway. We've talked about him. (laughs) We have Danny and Doug, the Basham brothers, who were supposed to be twins.
2: In real life, we're not actually related. They just looked really alike. Hmm. I'm pretty sure both of them are in Juggalo Championship Wrestling right now, too. I didn't
1: know that still existed. That's awesome. (laughs) We have Doink the Clown, the classic gimmick from the early 90s, being portrayed by nick dinsmore aka eugene oh i didn't know i didn't know that was eugene yeah yeah the easter bunny of course is being played by damian sandow now yep yeah
0: i knew that one reason
1: obviously we have the apa obviously bradshaw and farouk we have funaki is in this match and funaki literally does not wrestle at all we'll get to that (laughs) um we have a young john hennigan Later known as Johnny Johnny John Morrison, Johnny Nitro is in this match. A future star. Also did pretty well on Survivor, David versus Goliath. Made it to the jury. I thought he was very solid. Um we have uh here is a random guy. Johnny Stamboli, aka Johnny the Bull in WCW, is in this match. Shannon Moore and Matt Hardy are in this match. We have Nunzio. From the uh, full-blooded Italians in this match.
2: Also known as my gimmick if I was a wrestler.
1: We're almost at the end here. Sean O'Hare. Orlando Jordan. The late Matt Capitelli, who never really got to have a full run on SmackDown. And uh, died of brain cancer last year. Rest in peace. And Spanky, also known as Brian Kendrick. Who became one of the coolest workers of the 21st century. So it's just all these guys are in this small area and then they all just kind of start fighting like it's just a big brawl um spanky is like dancing on the bar the whole time um one thing i did love matt hardy is one of the guys who gets his own entrance and this is like 2003 so it's classic matt hardy version one which is like the first like kind of like really kind of wacky, creative, Matt Hardy gimmick that we ever got when he was broken up with his brother.
2: Great entrance.
1: And we get the uh, the Matt facts when he walks in. This week's Matt fact is Matt hates bar fights, which sucks because he's in one. <laughs> so Bradshaw says there's no rules, just uh, last man drinking wins. But then Brother Love shows up. A classic gimmick from the early 90s. Brother Love is cutting his promo. He says, just because I love you doesn't Uh, mean I like
0: you. you. And you know who I'm a mark for, David.
1: I know exactly who you're a mark for. (laughs) Brother Love.
0: Big Pritchard guy.
1: Mr. uh, Mr. Bruce Pritchard. And so he's cutting his whole Brother Love promo. He is just ripping apart the APA. Um, And then he says, I love this. He says, I'm going to lead you all in a message of love. And then he just picks up a stool and smashes it over. A I, love that. I thought that was so funny. And then it just turns into a brawl. They're all fighting. Um, immediately spanky gets tossed off a bar, th- off the bar through a table. There is tearing apart the set and brawling everywhere. The whole time. Funaki is sitting at the bar, just drinking. He's not even fighting. He's just politely <laughs> sitting there and drinking the whole time. Um, uh, Shannon Moore does a big moonsault off the stage onto like a few people. Brother Love continues to just beat the hell out of people, which is wild. Like Brother Love is killing people in this match. Mm-hmm. He throws somebody through a window and then he takes a vase and he breaks it over Sean O'Hare's head. Um, JBL just kills the Easter Bunny, just beats the hell out of him. Matt at one, Matt Hardy at one point, he does a diving leg drop onto a table that has one of the Bashams and Chris Canyon on it. And he does the leg drop, and it doesn't break. So then he gets back up, and then he does a diving splash again onto the same two dudes on the table. And then it, like, kind of breaks. Like, they were in... What? Did you mention how you win this match? It's... I mean, he said last man drinking wins. (laughs) The last man drinking wins? How? (laughs) That's great. I mean, it's dumb, but it's fun for what it is, you know? And so, Funaki, who never fights anybody in this match ends up drinking so much that he just passes out. And then the last two people left are JBL and Brother Love. And JBL hits him in the head with a beer and then he wins. And so Bradshaw is the winner of the Barroom Brawl, four minutes and thirty three seconds, just like wacky, mindless wackiness. But it is funny to watch.
2: You know? I, Got I, that's, some good of, that's where I fall in it too. Like there's a lot of cool spots. Like uh I was a big fan of Brother Love just shoving Shannon Moore into that mirror, uh, they toss somebody throughout, through the window, you have the Matt Hardy table spot, like there's a lot of fun things going on in this match, objectively, is it your worth your time to watch? Probably not, but as a vehicle to get a lot of guys on the pay-per-view, and you know, give them some name recognition going forward, because you can kind of use this as like, oh, now they know who they are a little bit, it was good, I thought, I mean, it did its job. At the time, this was definitely like, I I guarantee people like hated
0: it and thought it was dumb, but I, I'm, I'm like a low key Bradshaw guy. I'm also a Bradshaw guy. I liked JBL's run. I think the clothesline from hell is a great move. Okay. I love like the gimmick that he turns into like this rich billionaire type. I, I like that. So I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a Bradshaw guy and I'm a brother love guy. I, I thought it was kind of mindless fun. Um, and I love the gimmick of like, the last man drinking wins. Yeah. Uh, and then Funaki is literally just sitting there drinking the entire time.
1: Yeah, it's, it's I, loved, little, I like, love I the fact that Funaki is sitting there just drinking. And everyone just leaves him alone. Like, nobody tries to beat up Funaki. He's just minding his own business, just
2: housing Miller Lights. What are the odds,
0: though is a Funaki guy?
2: I don't hate Funaki, but he's not, like, a guy I would mark okay. out for. Okay,
1: I, I I thought he would be, like, a I, guy. I, I, I was, was always under... I was always under the impression that you were a big Funaki guy.
2: I like I appreciate Funaki for what he was, which is a guy that was never going to be pushed, but a guy willing to put other people over, and I can respect that because I feel like if I were in wrestling and I like I could do that role as a part reporter as Albert Stevens, as seen on TV.
0: Albert, Ste- what?
2: Albert Stevens would be my jobber name. Albert and- Stevens. Albert Stevens is that not a jobber as hell name? Yeah, it is, I guess. <laughs> I think Angelo is good wrestling name, but anyway.
1: Yeah, I feel like if you were going wrestling, you got to keep the Angelo. Just go straight up you gotta Angelo? You got to keep Angelo and then like I a- think you could keep Angelo and Glisa and then just play like an FBI type gimmick where you're just like an overly Italian man.
2: I mean, yeah, <laughs> but that's the easy answer.
1: I mean, the be- I mean, the funniest part about FBI like the FBI was like like you would have some dudes in there who just like blatantly were Italian. And they would still do like the Italian gimmick and like pretend to be Italian, like because you know I think we all agree that you know especially in this day and age we shouldn't be doing cultural appropriation, but it is okay to culturally appropriate Italians
2: because Italians are cool, obviously
1: because <laughs> it's funny to do that. That's my hot take. I think it should be okay to pretend to be Italian, but hey, uh, yeah, oh, hey. yeah. Uh, so that is my take on the uh, on the, uh, on being Italian. Yeah, you should keep Angelo and Gleese if you ever get the glasses, but you won't do that. <laughs> so that's the Barroom Brawl. We then move on to one of the good matches on this card. I thought this one absolutely whipped. WWE Tag Team Championship match. It is the world's greatest tag team, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas. Shelton Benjamin's still killing it to this day, taking on the team of Rey Mysterio And a member, let me tell you, of the Jewish pro wrestling Mount Rushmore, Billy Kidman, Kidman. (laughs) big Billy Kidman guy. And this match absolutely freaking banged. I had a great time watching this match. We get the, like, original Rey Mysterio WWE entrance where he jumps out of the stage. Great entrance. Great entrance. Dope entrance. Um, The world's greatest tag team, they come out with the matching singlets. Never been a bad singlet tag team in history, ever. So early on, Ray and Kidman, who, as Michael Cole actually mentions, wrestled as the filthy animals in WCW. They do a bunch of cool lucha stuff early on, and then uh, the world's greatest tag teams, they take over, and they beat on Kidman for a long time. Ray gets in. He does a really cool diving guillotine leg drop for a two-count. But then the singlet guys take back over. Then they beat on Ray. They beat on him some more. Haas hits a really, really big power slam at one point. Cause this is the point. I mean, like Ray got bigger the next couple of years before, as he got pushed as a main event guy, he wanted to be more muscular. It took away from his speed and his athleticism, but he's still, this is still really, really top notch Ray Mysterio here. Um, Kidman gets the hot tag. He runs wild for a little bit. Ray teases the six one nine. Then Hits a springboard seated senton on to the outside on both guys. And then Billy Kidman runs up, does a springboard shooting star press, which is not something that you saw very much of in 2003. Onto the outside, onto everybody. Crowd goes crazy. Holy shit chance for that. Um, fi- but in pretty short order, world's greatest tag team, they take back over. They send Kidman into the post, they double team him. He tags Ray in, but the ref doesn't see it, so he disallows the tag. They continue to beat on him. Finally, Kidman counters a powerbomb into a facebuster. He tags in Ray, who goes and runs wild, hits a ton of moves, hits a springboard wheelbarrow DDT on Benjamin for a two-count, hits the 619 on Charlie Haas. He drops the dime on him, but the referee is too busy yelling at Billy Kidman to get out of the ring to count the pin, and then Benjamin breaks it up. Kidman then, one of the coolest spots in this match, grabs Ray and tosses him up into the air, into the corner, and then he hits a top rope her Kenrana just so smooth out of that throw into the air on Charlie Haas for a two count. Crowd is going crazy for this match. They are really into this. Then finally, World's Greatest Tag Team kicks back over and finishing of this match, they hit, this was really cool, they hit like kind of the doomsday device where they have him up on uh, Charlie Haas' shoulders, and Benjamin comes off the top rope. But they flip it over, so Ray takes the bump on his back. And they pin Ray. And the world's greatest tag team, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, retain the titles in 14 minutes, 53 seconds. Again, I thought this was a really entertaining, high level of athleticism type match.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you, first of all, you have uh Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, two guys that are wrestlers in college. You have Ray freaking Mysterio, Billy Kidman, a guy I've heard mentioned before. I've never actually seen it. This is my first Billy Kidman match that shooting star press. He hits. I actually lost him. Like, wait, he can do that. Cause he looks like just, just a generic old wrestler. Like if he was with uh La resistance and Rob Conway, he'd fit right in. But then he's doing the shooting star press. I'm just like, that's insane. Uh, but again, you have a high, lot of high impact moves, a lot of high flying, a lot of interesting like grapples. I really enjoyed that finisher, the power bomb clothesline finisher combo looked really cool. Just again, solid tag team wrestling.
0: Yeah, and Rey Mysterio looked so good. I forgot how good he looked. And I think we've had him recently. What other show do we have him on recently?
2: Did we have him on No Mercy two thousand one?
0: Maybe I don't remember. Which one I don't it was, remember. But-
2: I actually don't remember.
0: He looked really good there. But uh, out of the other three, who do you guys think I'm a huge, I don't want to say huge mark for, but who do you think is a guy for me?
1: I know you're a Charlie Haas guy. Yes, I am. Thank you. (laughs) I know for a fact. I think we talked about it the other day. Charlie Haas is just one of those guys who, he's just a a guy,
0: but I like him. I just, I don't know. Apparently, I like boring white dudes because I'm a test guy. (laughs) I'm I'm a testicle, as David says. I'm a Charlie Haas guy. I just love these random dudes who everybody kind of forgot about, but that always ended up in like big time angles and surprisingly decent matches. So I think that might must be like my, uh, my type. Um, well,
1: Haas, Haas was a really good worker and a really good enough. athlete. Yeah. And I mean, this was, he wasn't a guy that had, I, I feel like, had sort of the charisma and the character to really work as, like, a good singles guy. And so, like, when they split up the world's greatest tag team, he kind of never really went anywhere. Yeah. Because he, I mean, like, Shelton was able to kind of continue. Shelton was kind of, like, a different level of athlete than Charlie Haas was. So, you could yeah. put him in, like, these matches. Like, like, they put him in, like, the Money in the Bank match. And he did all these crazy moves. And, but, like... Haas wasn't really that kind of guy. Haas was perfect for this role. Yep. To be just a kick-ass worker in a really good tag team. But, but he ended th- up being in like really good like US title matches and stuff too, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was a really, really good worker, but like I feel like he was a guy that stood out in this type of setting.
2: Yeah, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I think I remember two things with Haas. One, doesn't he isn't he the one that kind of breaks up the world's greatest tag team by turning heel on Shelton? Um, uh, maybe I'm God, trying. I don't even remember. I, 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 well, I don't I, remember.
1: I'm talking, I, I, talking I, about breakups I, of obscure tag teams, <laughs> man. They, they, oh. Okay, so I, I they originally got broken up because of the, the brand split, they just sent Shelton to the Raw, and they were like, Okay, well, that tag team's over now. Okay, <laughs> and so then okay, both apparently, both times that they broke up the world's greatest tag team. It was just like WWE draft. All right. Shelton's here now. Bye. Go away.
2: Okay. So I'm wrong. Yeah. So
1: they never even really did like a storyline where they broke up the team or anything.
2: Second thing. Doesn't Haas go over Matt Hardy for like the U S title at some point. Um, I I remember that. Wait, what was it? Haas going over Hardy in a U.S. title match. Cause I remember like Haas having a match with Hardy and like Haas playing the heel. Uh, like cause Um, they're building him coming back and like being a big deal.
1: From what I can tell,
2: looking on Wikipedia,
1: and again, I don't really remember any of this stuff, but in 2007, they they brought back together the world's greatest tag team, and they feuded with the Hardys okay, for the there it is. Uh, tag team titles, um, and they were the heels, but they didn't end up winning the titles, and then they shipped uh, Benjamin off to ECW at the time. That's right. So, okay, I do remember that part. Yeah, I don't really remember. I, I remember them bringing the team back together, but I don't really remember what they did with it because I was like 12.
2: Does Shelton so. end up in the WWE Hall of Fame, which is completely obscure and has no reason? Um, no. Ah,
1: you know, they put crappier guys in there. Hell, you know? He had a great match. Uh, have we talked about that match
0: that he had with uh, Christian? Shelton, Benjamin, and Christian in, like a ladder
2: match? Well, he also, like, that mu- that first Money in the Bank match, there's just so many iconic moments, and he's a part of a lot of them. Shelton Benjamin, they still, I mean, I, you still
1: see that one spot that he did in that Money in the Bank ladder match where he did the run up the ladder, leaning up against the ropes, and did the flip to the outside. People do that spot in ladder matches all the time. I just call it the Shelton Benjamin spot. I saw Damian Priest do that at TakeOver, like, two weeks ago. Like, I mean, the best the best Shelton-Benjamin match, I think we can all agree, is the shelton benjamin Shawn Michaels match on Raw in 05. Yeah. Right? Can we yeah. agree on that one? Probably, yeah. Sure. That is one of the best, like, free TV matches. This is a match that, like, occurred on a random episode of Raw. Probably of the century. That match was incredible. And... I feel like that was the first time you really saw a do a, like a really cool version of like a guy does like a cool springboard and then gets nailed with a super kick out of midair, which you now see like in every wrestling match in the world today. Like the first really good one of those was in the Shelton Shawn Michaels match. Yeah, so, I, I would agree yeah. with that. Shelton Benjamin is out here innovating cool spots that we just see all the time. He's doing it in, like the early two thousands. Shelton Benjamin, awesome. Charlie, this Pop, is a guy. This has been our Shelton Benjamin appreciation corner. And Shelton Benjamin also, who wrestled a few G1s earlier this decade and did pretty well. Good. yeah. Had good. a good New Japan run. People forget that Shelton Benjamin had a strong New Japan run. But he did it. So, yeah. Okay. So, great match. Loved it. Thought it was awesome. You know, just something fast-paced... Fast-paced... Uh, Cool Lucha tag team versus cool, like, you know, shoot wrestler tag team who are really athletic and can do cool stuff. It's not going to it's not going to suck. There's no there's no way that could suck. Next up, something that absolutely could suck. We've got uh, Stephanie McMahon and Sable in a quote unquote no count out cat fight. So Stephanie comes out. They've been doing this whole storyline. I don't even really care, Um, but they hate each other. And I think you know, like Sable is friends with Vince or whatever, and Steph is jealous. I don't care. All these gimmicks, all these storylines were stupid. Um, so it's like a fight, like it's supposed to be like a like a no holds barred brawl. And Sable is like coming out, there's like doing her entrance where she's like shaking her ass and like I'm sexy, look at me, which is just like really just kind of incongruous to the whole point. Um, and then Steph just kind of charges out and attacks her on the ramp. And it's just a, like a shitty brawl for a really long time. Um, Sable beats her up and then Steph takes over. And she tries to use a chair, but the ref takes it away. And then at one point, Steph like kind of rips part of Sable's shirt and Sable's like trying to hide, you know, like, you know, not let everyone see cause her shirt's ripped. And then the referee, uh, takes his shirt off. To try and like give it to her to like help her cover up, and this referee has some really like shitty like very two thousand three like tribal tattoos, very <laughs> in the very in the you know of the moments. And while he's turned around for some reason, A Train, also known as Albert, also known as uh, Giant Bernard in uh, New Japan, also known as Matt Bloom, who is now like the guy running the NXT Performance Center, he just charges in and he runs over Steph. And uh, leaves, and then Sable just turns around and pins Stephanie McMahon, and the match is over in six minutes and twenty nine seconds. So it was, uh, it was a, a match. Now so you're telling me that they
0: let women wrestle on the card with no title. That is so. I mean, if
1: you want to call this wrestling,
0: so- sure, David, it's progressive. It's progressive. No, I'm I'm, I'm obviously kidding. This, this, this is where the, this was
1: the start of the women's revolution. <laughs> is when they let A Train run in on Stephanie McMahon
2: while Sable was pretty the much God. topless. I forgot an A Train gimmick, Lord Tensai. I was was Lord, say, Tensai. Lord Tensai. That's what yeah. I was thinking of too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, was this just the match for Sable to be topless? A Train interference? Question mark. Uh, next. Like. Ugh. Why do we have to have six minutes of this? This is just, you could say all you want about, oh, it's a woman's t- match that doesn't have a title at stake on a pay-per-view. Great. But no, this wasn't it. It was not it. That was
1: not it, fam.
2: Jake, anything?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Wait, but <laughs> we, we, we did learn bad. something. We did learn we, we, something, bad. though, recently. So Bailey takes off the ref shirt and then becomes the ref. So oh. why wasn't Sable the ref? Oh, that's got a the good shirt. question. Keep I mean, your booking consistent, WWE. Seventeen years later, keep that shit consistent.
0: No, we've uh, for like the thousandth time, we've hammered on how bad they badly WWE handled women's wrestling. There's no more to say about it. Just it's go.
1: good now. Yeah, it's, it's solid now. It's a lot better. It's been a lot worse in the past. So here is a just beautiful slice of 2003 uh, SmackDown. It is the American badass Undertaker taking on a young doctor of Thugonomics, John Cena. Put this in my he veins. Top three gimmick of all time, thuganomics, John Cena. Thugonomics John Cena had, I mean, this is a guy who made wearing throwback jerseys into just a glorious art form. And you know me. I mean, the two of you guys know me. You know I love, like, old jerseys and, like, people wearing old obscure jerseys. I loved watching, like, the promo package for this match because of to see all the different jerseys John Cena was wearing. At one point, he was wearing a Kansas City Kings
2: Tiny Archibald jersey, which is powerful. I'm glad I'm not the only Incredible. one that wrote about the promo because I, the entire promo package, and this is something you want to go back and watch, it just oh, it sets the scene. Thug- every, time, every time you get to watch John Cena rap, I mean, yeah. Thugonomics John Cena. His rhymes are corny, but man, does he sell it like a badass. <laughs> his
1: bars, trash. But he, you know, he, he had so much charisma, and his delivery was so committed that it didn't matter. You know, I like think almost meta. You know what I mean? You know, it's it's like he's like he was like a Lil Uzi Vert of wrestling. Like all of his bars were stupid and made no sense, but the delivery made it great, <laughs> and so it, it kicked ass. Like I can still listen to John Cena's album. From 2006 or whatever it was. I can still listen to it. It still still bangs. But. Fire beats. Yeah. So, again, like this promo package is great. Really distressing and strange because a little bit though, because you hear, you keep hearing like Michael Cole calling The Undertaker the big dog and saying that he's protecting his yard. And it's like, damn. Like, because, because, obviously like when you hear that your mind goes to you know living in 2020 the roman reigns undertake a wrestlemania match where it was the two big dogs battling over the yard and that was like the most depressing match i've ever watched in my life and i don't want to think about it
2: david you're thinking about it
1: (laughs) i mean like that almost brought the whole thing down for me but john cena he comes out you know that this Simple story, but an effective one. Mr. Old School, the American badass Undertaker, he has to teach some respect to this uppity young, new school white rapper, John Cena. Both guys play the role perfectly. Um, Cena comes out wearing an Indiana State Larry Bird jersey. Phenomenal. Top-notch jersey choice. He cuts his rapping promo in the ring. At one point, he rhymes pieces with feces. She makes work. Um, And then Taker rolls to the ring on his hog and he gets a big pop. So Taker, he beats up Cena early, sends him to the outside, sends Cena into the barricade. He does a leg drop onto Cena in the apron. First part of this match is literally just Cena getting the hell beaten out of him. Taker hits the old school, hits the big choke slam, and it looks like he's about to win. But, But right before the referee counts three, Taker pulls Cena up. It's not going to be that quick. He wants to beat John Cena up some more. He brings Cena up for the last ride, Power Bob. But Cena escapes, hits a DDT, and goes after Taker. And all of a sudden, we have a wrestling match. So he goes over to the corner. He tries to take the turnbuckle pad off. It is like a solid two full minutes of John Cena trying to get this turnbuckle pad off. Like he has to keep like leaving the turnbuckle pad to go over and like stomp on Taker a little bit and then go back and try to keep taking off this turnbuckle pad. I don't know which longshoreman tied this knot, but he can't get this thing off. Did you just say longshoreman. He finally gets it off and Taker runs into the steel and then Cena shoulder blocks him through the ropes to the floor. They are trading shots in the ring. Cena keeps going to the body, and a lot of this is Cena is beating up Taker's abdomen to the point where, C- like, Taker is doing, like, you know, quote-unquote bleeding from the mouth. Um, and But, you know, it, it works. Cena hits a spine buster for a two-count, goes up, teases the FU, but Taker escapes. He hits a big boot, hits a leg drop. Cena's in trouble, but when the referee is turned around, he gets his chain like the padlock and chain the dude would wear around his neck, and he wraps around his fist, and he hits Taker right in the stomach. And then he gets him up. He hits the FU, but Taker kicks out of Cena's finisher. Finally, you know, and that is and that is the moment we talked about it. That is when you know John Cena is not winning this match, ladies and gentlemen. So Cena sends Taker into the corner. He gets up on the middle rope. He's doing the, the punches in the corner, counting to 10. But then Taker just grabs him and he picks him up, and he walks out of the corner. He hits the last ride powerbomb, and The Undertaker pins John Cena in 16 minutes and 2 seconds.
0: Uh, Thugonomics John Cena is so good. I just, I I know, I feel like back in 2003, it was probably meant to be taken seriously, but now in 2020, I look at it as like a self-aware parody almost, uh, as like, Man, this was really cool back in two thousand and three. I'm gonna do that. Uh Biker Taker was super cool, except we got uh we got American Badass this time, right, for his entrance.
2: Yeah, because they played the dubbed over music. Yeah. yeah.
0: They they played the dubbed over music, which is not nearly as good as uh American Badass. Uh the story of this match was so good. This was it I mean, they you know, they told us about it every ten seconds, but it's the grizzled veteran trying to beat down the up and coming. And the up and comer just refuses to go down. You know, and it made a star out of Cena, even in a loss. The part that really blew my mind was that nobody kicks out of the FU. I've never seen anybody kick out of the FU. Now the attitude adjustment, I've seen a lot of guys kick out of that. Never seen anybody kick out of
2: the FU. Because it lost its power level when they forced the name change on it. Kind of like sure.
0: the tfu <laughs> Yep.
2: It's just now the SDF. Uh no, and again, the story of this match, and the one thing, like, I, I, I'm gonna echo it too, and we're gonna sound like Michael Cole and Taz here. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that the first early part of the match is just Taker beating the crap out of Cena, because it really sells that, oh, Taker's on a different level than this young guy. This is gonna be a glorified squash match, and, uh, that'll be it. And then when the tide changes, when Taker doesn't go for, uh, keep the pin down, and you let Cena get an inch and he's taking a mile he's using a bunch of underhanded tactics he's cheating he's taking the turnbuckle off he's hitting undertaker with the bike chain it's a great story because now you have okay so this is why cena can win is because he's willing to go someplace that undertaker is not even though undertaker goes by big evil at this point um the last ride as a finisher i think is probably the best power bomb finisher i know batista bombs really cool and all but for my money the last ride, just because you literally are getting that guy near nine and a half feet in the air. If you want to call it ten, we can call it ten. But just the visual striking appearance of Undertaker, literally essentially pushing that guy all the way up, getting full extension, and then just slamming him into the canvas is just something to behold. And again, uh, going back to Cena being like uh, the young up and comer, using willing to use dirty tricks. I love that water, uh, the water bottle spot where he just spits in the face of the Undertaker. Just a nice little, it really lets you set the pace of the match. Um, but I, I really, this was my favorite match on the card personally. I enjoyed this a lot. I enjoyed both these characters. I enjoyed the story that the match told. All in all, probably like a four-star match for me. Maybe four and a half if we want to go there. Really, really good Really match. good. I would say it was probably my fourth favorite match on the card, but I really liked it. Wow, really?
1: Yeah. Well, I, you,
0: have, I, you have Vince and Zach Gowan above them, don't you? Of course I do.
1: <laughs> no, I mean I loved Eddie Benoit, I loved the tag match, and I really liked the main event, which we'll talk about in a little bit.
0: I actually I, I think this would have been number two behind Eddie Eddie Benoit for me.
1: That's fine. I mean it was a different you know, it was it was a it was a good story match. It was different yeah, than the other and two. I like that. And I like yeah, it was
0: out of the FU, you know. it was
1: really well worked. I mean, yeah, kicking out of the FU. You know, it's one of those things like it's 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 surprising us watching now, seventeen years later, when Cena is the legend and he's won the world title a billion times and he's one of the mm-hmm. biggest stars ever. But you know, back then, having the Undertaker kick out of the finisher, it makes sense in the fact that like John Cena is like the young up and comer. Who isn't quite there yet? Where and and the Undertaker is the Undertaker. He is the 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 grizzled vet top dog. He's the yeah. big dog, and this is his yard. You know, like not every single wrestler needs to be pushed all the way right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. you know, not everybody is scoring thirty points a game when they're a rookie. They got to get better and they got to improve. And maybe, you know, in your first year or two, you're hitting your move, but the Undertaker's kicking out of it. Maybe three years later, he's not kicking out of it. You know, it's because it's, it is that like that old school, you know, star trying to teach, you know, some humility to the up and coming young guy. And I think it works.
2: I really know? like the analogy. I really do yeah. like that. I th- thought that was perfect.
1: Well thank you, Angelo. I try. I try Give very a
2: hard. Kiss ass, Angelo. He's the host. You're, I'm gonna be a kiss the, ass.
1: You're the editor. Yeah, you're the one you're the one who edits you do more work on this podcast than either of us do. <laughs> Hell, dude. Come I just on. show
2: up I just show up and like make jokes. We gotta make Jake a <laughs> yeah. t-shirt show up, drink beer, talk wrestling, leave. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> if you make that shirt, I will wear it. <laughs> I'll work on my paint skills. <laughs>
1: Okay, but yeah, I mean, I think we both agreed this was a good match, good storytelling match. And I think everybody played their role well and they executed it well. You know, it's not like a work-rate classic or anything. But it's good. It's a good match. Um, And heel... I mean, this is like the only heel Cena we ever got, really. Was white rapper, Dr. of Thugonomics Cena. And he was so good at it. I mean, the guy is just like... You know... I think part of it is like the look that he has, like he looks like the third Wahlberg brother a little bit. (laughs) So like that also really works, you know,
2: Yeah, he really sells the like thug from Boston look really well, but it's also like, you know,
1: he's not from Boston. He's from West Newbury, Massachusetts. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) like, you know, he's like kind of a suburban guy. Who's sort of affecting this a little bit. Yeah, I grew up
2: on the streets. I'm a rapper. You grew up in a place called West Newberry, kid. Which for all I
1: know, West Newberry might be like, you know, a hellhole. But I have no idea. No. But anyway, we move on to one of the weirdest wrestling matches I have ever seen in my entire life. So we have Vince McMahon, the chairman of WWE. Who at this point in time? How old is he? I'm looking it up.
0: 50s? He is
1: late fifties. He is 58 years old. The time of this match, taking on Zach Gallon. Best known, of course, he is the wrestler with one leg. He had his he had uh, one of his legs amputated because of a congenital issue when he was a child, and. All respect to him, he became a wrestler and ended up working in WWE for a while. And really the whole storyline is, you know, he's a cancer survivor with one leg who his whole life he's always wanted to be a WWE superstar. He is trying to, you know, find a way because he's become a wrestler, wants to find a way to get a contract, and he's working to make that happen. But Vince and his crony sable are basically just bullying him and trying to humiliate him because he has one leg and that's basically the whole story so vince is you know just a mega heel in this whole storyline vince comes out and i mean you know vince is always like a real i mean he was a, a huge steroid case obviously he was uncomfortably jacked, dude. I, saw, he out. I, mean, I said, I saw, I watched, I watched this man come out, and it made it just was like this is not okay. Thank you. Like, it this is like
2: unnatural. This is against God. It looked like you. He had surgery to remove his head and put it on a bodybuilder's body. Vince McMahon went over God, David. Don't forget. <laughs> That's Canada. I know, but like.
1: I don't know man It's like something you would read about in the book of revelations The genetic jackhammer It's just hor- Like really just <laughs> Pure David Cronenberg Body horror type oh
0: stuff Oh my man. god I just imagine Vince riding in on like a white horse To like signal the apocalypse <laughs> <now>. Yes
2: <laughs> Just wait like, it's coming any day now
1: Like the fires Come from the heavens to destroy Solomon's temple And you, you just hear him go That's such good shit brother like <laughs> Oh, what a maneuver.
2: <laughs> they don't care what the moves are called.
1: Yeah. Jesus comes down and then on the on the in the last battle, and you hear Vince go, Oh, what a
2: maneuver. <laughs> I beat your paw not seventeen years ago. You think you have a chance, boy?
1: <laughs> oh my god. But so this is I mean, he comes out and it's just again, it is against God the way Vince looked in this match. And Zach Gowen comes out, and he's just, you know, he's kind of just like a normal size sort of shrimpy guy, you know. Um, he just looks like any guy on the street. And he walks out. And before the match starts, he takes off his prosthetic leg, and he hands it to the referee. And then they just wrestle a match. And it's really weird because it's like, it's Vince McMahon. So, you know, like, it's it's literally it's Vince McMahon. And he's wrestling a guy with one leg. And it's just like a normal wrestling match. Like, it's bizarre. Like, they have him, like, trade holds early and, like, do chain wrestling. But it's that Vince McMahon doing it? It's Vince McMahon doing it. And, like, they have Vince, like, who, again, I don't know how this is supposed to look, make Zach Gowan look good. I guess it's not. But it's, like, Vince is a 58-year-old man who is not a wrestler is like completely out wrestling Gowan is like taking him down it's like spinning around on him and is like just wrestling circles around Zach Gowan it's so freaking weird to watch and then finally Gowan gets his comeback he sends Vince over the top rope he does an acai moonsault to the outside which is interesting because they call it an acai moonsault and Ultimo Dragon who actually is uh Yoshihiro Acai who they named the move after is actually wrestling on uh, on the on like the dark match of this card. So like, huh. I always wondered like if if Ultimo Dragon when he was in WWE if he did the Asai moonsault would they acknowledge that he was the Asai and Asai moonsault? <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that I think about. This is what keeps David up at night. This is the kind of things that just ties my brain and knots a little bit. Shut up, David DeLuca. And it's like completely meaningless. I'm probably the only person who cares about this in the world. But Ultimo Dragon, awesome wrestler. Really cool. Um, but back to this match. He does the Asahi moonsault to the outside. Does a couple leg drops with his one leg. Vince kicks out. And then Vince takes over. And he just works the leg. He works the one leg. And again, it's weird because it's like just kind of normal wrestling. Like Vince is just kind of wrestling as a normal heel. He's doing stuff that like heels do in wrestling matches. But it's Vince. So it's weird. To see him doing this, especially to a guy who has one leg. It is just visually very bizarre match. And then he's working the leg, puts him in a single-leg Boston crab. Uh, Gowan gets to the rope. Zach finally he fires back. He drop kicks him into the corner. He crotches him on the ring post. He hits a top rope bulldog. He hits a missile drop kick. Finally, he hits his moonsault, but Vince gets the foot on the rope. Vince then brings a chair into the ring, and then we get a ref bump. Zach drop kicks the chair into Vince's head. Vince blades, and Vince is leaking everywhere all over the ring. It's disgusting. He bladed way too deep. He <laughs> way, is, way too deep. Vince McMahon, 58-year-old, not a wrestler, is just gushing blood everywhere. He it looks it's like immediate. a gusher. It is spurting like a water fountain. It's disgusting. And so yeah, he blades and then Zach hits him with the chair. He goes for a moonsault centon, and he misses the move. And then Vince, who is just gushing blood everywhere after he misses the moonsault, he just goes over and he pins him and Vince wins in 14 minutes of just like one of the most visually bizarre matches I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I guess it was okay. I don't know. I mean, it was just weird.
0: I had a great time watching this match and it was honestly, it was a little bit of both as far as like the weirdness and just the wrestling of it. Like I love that. They just let them go and just had them wrestle the match. And the whole story was like, can Zach Gowen who is a pretty good worker on one leg beat this jacked, like steroid head, Vince McMahon. Um it, it, And I already said, it made me uncomfortable how big McMahon is, but he looked Photoshopped the entire time. Yes, he did. And and how can you watch this and not be super impressed by Gowan? You know what I mean? Like the guy's on one leg and he's hitting
1: the Asai moonsault. That is so badass. I, I can't it. hit I can't do an Asai moonsault on two legs. Can you do a regular moonsault? No.
0: I do not <laughs> I mean, try, bro. I have I would I, w- I wouldn't even want to try it because I would break my neck. Uh I, I could never backflip into the pool. I'm going to try it sometime. I'm going to try and see how it goes. Uh, you know one thing that really stood out to me here beyond all that i i'm gonna go out on a limb and say i loved Vince's ring gear i love the black tank top and like dark pants i think it just worked i think the it old me- the old kevin Nash look yeah but i thought it looked just as good on vince i thought it, i think it's a good like heel owner type deal because he kind of looks like he doesn't know what to wear so he's like Ah, just give me something badass from the closet. Give me a muscle and shirt they,
2: and pants. Yeah, yeah, that's what they handed him. Because you know he's pale as hell on his legs. Like, I don't know. You think that Vince is going to spray tan that ish, dude?
1: I I don't know this for a fact because I guarantee there is not a single picture or video or image and or visual representation of Vince McMahon in shorts.
2: I bet you he's got some tiny calves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. I'm I'm gonna echo you two here. I, I think more so, David than Jake. This is a weird match. I mean, it's it's it is a legitimate, just plain old wrestling match with Zach Gowan and Mister McMahon. And I can't tell because I mean, there's two one thing to know of Vince. Vince, if he believes in you, and we will put believes in quotes because we'll get to Kofi Kingston at another time. <laughs> uh he, if, if 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 you have Vince in the ring with you working in an angle with you it means he values you as an employee now zach gowan never went really over with uh anything like he didn't win any championships in wwe i uh, didn't like really i mean other than being like the first uh i believe it's paraplegic wrestler there's not no, really not lo-
1: paraplegic that means you're paralyzed shoot uh <laughs> i'm not gonna le- i'm not gonna help you out of this one i'm and not I'm helping you, out
2: of- you figure I- this one out on your own dude i guess amputee Yes, there, uh, there you I go. That's, that's the best that's word
1: the for
2: it. Word, yeah. <laughs> Math major folks, not English major, bad with words. Uh <laughs> yes, I added <edited> a podcast. <laughs> the first paraplegic wrestler. <laughs> All right, but you know, it's coming down the line. It's coming down the line. Uh I hope you're right. But like he's he's in the ring and he's working a great match. Like Gowan was a great worker in this match. Like he sold like hell that early clothesline that Vince hits. He's able to sell it great. Um, I know he had a run uh, in TNA. Another guy. The reason why I knew the ba- uh, the Bashams were in Juggalo Championship Wrestling is because Zach Gowen was in Juggalo Championship Wrestling. Oh, because <laughs> uh, I was cool. like, uh, uh, I-, I was curious. I wanted to see how the rest of his career went. Um, and he had some, he had some success everywhere else. Um, but the funny thing was, like, his major, he went to Eastern Michigan University. Uh, I majored in secondary education and mathematics. So, a guy I have a lot in common with. And then you have Mr. McMahon out here. And, again, I just can't tell whether this is meant to be a feel-good story, which I want to believe it is, but also Vince. So it's also possible he's just doing this as a sideshow. Ha-ha. Chuck-chuck. Har-har-har. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I love going – I love I love seeing things and going har-har-har at them.
2: <laughs> the one thing I will say, like, Gowen's moonsault is just incredible. It's picture-perfect. uh and then the one quote at the beginning of the match that really kind of, I don't know, maybe gets a casual fan more interested, is that you might have survived cancer, but you won't survive me. That's a great line. That's a great Incredible line.
1: Incredible line. Yeah, that's an awesome line. Because that is Vince McMahon saying to you that he believes that he is deadlier than cancer. <laughs> he went over God. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly, like, If you follow Vince McMahon's career, of course, it's completely in character, you know? Of course you would think that he is deadlier than cancer if he wants to be.
2: And that's the thing about Vince McMahon. You never know where the character ends and the person begins.
1: Phenomenal, man.
2: But yeah, I I just, I could not get
1: over just the pure visual insanity of this match. Like, just, like, it looks like a normal match. Like, they're doing things... That you would see in any other match. Like the heel is. You know like you know kind of. Outworking him early in chain wrestling. And like. Takes him down and he puts him in a chin lock. And it's just like okay this is. I'm watching a wrestling match. But it is like this fucking. Jacked up freak Vince McMahon. With like his muscles look like. Like the the inflatable arms. From that one episode of Spongebob. Where he's (laughs) trying to impress Sandy on the beach. And I'm like, I'm watching. Like, this is Vince McMahon doing this, and I just could not get past that.
2: It was too weird for me to really like think about anything else. I believe now we're at four David Statman f bombs,
1: and and I'm trying too. It's just hard for me right now. It's just hard. God. Okay. So we go to the main event. We have a WWE Championship triple threat match between. The Big Show, Kurt Angle, and the defending champion, Brock Lesnar. Now, we, we've talked about Brock Lesnar before. I mean, we talked about him. He ran in, in Hell in a Cell 2018. That was, I believe, our first Brock appearance on a show that we have covered on this podcast. But this, I'm pretty sure, is the first actual Brock match. Correct, and- as our statistician. There may not be a more incredible single physical specimen in the history of the WWE than 2002-2003 era Brock Lesnar. I mean, he was unbelievable. As I mean, the way he looked, his athleticism, just a freakish human being that it is just impossible to quantify. You know, him just physically was un- a marvel just a marvel. So, we start the match. They do a special announcement that this is a no-DQ match, which is, it's like, it's a triple threat match. All triple threat matches are no-DQ. How can you have a DQ when there's three people in the match? But Whatever, all right? I, I think that is just them signaling to you, hey, we're going to use some weapons in this match, so don't freak out about it. And they do. So, we start the match, and it is Kurt and Brock two great, you know, shoot freestyle wrestlers, Kurt, the Olympic gold medalist, Brock, the NCAA heavyweight champion. They kind of face off a little bit at the beginning of the match and they immediately go and double team Big Show. And the first part of this match is really the Big Show just kind of fighting fighting them off and then like kind of beating them up separately. So Show sort of fends them off early on. And this is action from the beginning. Big Show hits his finisher, a chokeslam, on Brock Lesnar. Within the first minute of the match, Show is hitting his finisher. And then Kurt comes in. He breaks it up. But then Show overpowers Kurt. Kurt puts him in the ankle lock, but Show is able to counter him. He just boots him across the ring. Brock comes in, hits a diving forearm off the top rope, tries to get him up to the F5, but he can't do it. And then Angle and Brock both get garbage can lids. They bring the garbage can lids into the ring and just beat the hell out of Big Show. They try to both suplex him, but show sandbags and then suplexes both of them at the same time. And then finally, Angle and Brock, they get back up and they combine to hit a double choke slam on the Big Show. Brock then turns his attention to Kurt Angle, hits the F5 on Angle, but then Angle rolls away. Then he gets Big Show up, big pop for this when he gets him up, Hits the F5 on Big Show, but ends up taking a little bit too long to cover, and Kurt pulls the ref out of the rings. Then Kurt and Brock fight on the outside. Brock slams Kurt into the steps. Kurt blades, and he starts bleeding everywhere. So we get another blade job in the main event. Brock then gets Big Show up. He power bombs him off the middle rope. Crowd goes crazy for that. Holy shit, Chance, because this is like one of the biggest versions of Big Show. He was carrying some pounds. We have seen some svelter Big Shows. This is like a larger Big Show. So, crowd loves that. Kurt comes in with a chair. He breaks up the pin. Hits a big, unprotected chair shot to the head of Brock Lesnar. He tries to pin Big Show, but he kicks out. Show boots the chair into Kurt's face on the outside. Teases the choke slam. But Kurt Angle hits the angle slam on uh, Show through the announce table. Crowd is really just hot for this match. A lot of action. Kurt and Brock show down in the middle of the ring. The crowd is cheering for Kurt. Um, Kurt, they go to the outside. Kurt sends Brock into the steps and knocks the cameraman over in the the process of slamming him into the steps. Um, Straps are down on Kurt Singleton in the middle of the ring. Goes for the angle slam. Brock reverses it. Hits a spine buster for a two-count puts Kurt into a submission hold, but then Show comes in, hits a leg drop, tries to cover both guys at the same time. They both kick out, hits a double choke slam. Brock kicks out, and then as he tries to go cover Kurt Angle, Brock breaks up the pin, and then he hits Big Show in the nuts. Brock's shoulder goes into the post. Kurt grabs him out of the corner, puts in the ankle lock. Then he hits the angle slam on Big Show. He hits the angle slam on Brock Lesnar, and Kurt Angle, pins Brock Lesnar, which is not something that really at any point in WWE history has happened very often. Kurt Angle pins Brock Lesnar to become once again the WWE champion, 17 minutes and 29 seconds of just big guys doing stuff constantly. Love is it. this is this the best that big show has has looked in a match so far that we've had? I would say so. And like physically, you know, there He's are the versions biggest. of physically like there are better looking versions of big shows. But he worked hard in this match. He did a lot. Yeah, and I and I, I thought he looked good. I thought the double choke slam was a pretty badass spot. Like it's not
0: that he had to do anything, but I thought it looked, I thought it looked good. I thought that he did, he did his job well there. My absolute favorite part of this entire match was the they called it like the pinball spot. Whenever uh, Kurt and Brock had the uh, trash can lids and we're just beating Big Show back and forth between each other. I, I laughed out loud at that spot because I thought it was absolutely hilarious. You want to talk about some guys, Brock Lesnar, the wrestler. I don't mean Brock Lesnar, the universal champ. I'm talking 2002, 2003 Brock Lesnar, one of the best wrestlers ever. And I say I, that knowing what I mean.
1: And I, again, I was saying it right at the beginning of the uh, like the beginning of this. Has there ever been a more awe-inspiring, just physical specimen in the history of pro wrestling than 2002, 2003 Brock Lesnar? No. Go look
0: at, uh, I I, ne- I would need to look up the pay-per-view exactly, but Brock and Undertaker had a Hell in a Cell match together. And, you know, Undertaker's super physically imposing, super big, and Brock just made him look kind of like a bitch for a second. And I, I think that kind of happened here. Like, Big Show is big as hell. But Brock almost looked bigger, even though he wasn't even close, if that makes any sense. Yeah. He just looked so... Big Show looked kind of fat. Brock just looked murderous and huge
2: and intimidating. Big Show looked like a legitimate giant. Like, he is... Again, he is just a mammoth of a man. Like, someone that is not part of the human species. <laughs> Brock looks like a goddamn superhero. Like, literally. He's got, like, if you wanted to make a superhero movie with Brock Lesnar, you could totally do it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would would buy it. Brock looks like he was created by a
1: mad scientist. (laughs) Like, he's trying to genetically engineer a
2: physically perfect human being. Absolutely. I agree. And Vince was a failed version of that.
0: Yes. Oh, God, yeah, Vince Vince was one of the clones that didn't work (laughs) out. (laughs) Sid
1: Vicious was the failed clone.
0: (laughs) What about Lex Luger? Lex Luger. Is he a, is he a
1: Lex, Lex Luger was like the 1.0 version. Of okay. okay. <laughs> like he didn't, he didn't have the, uh, they, they didn't like install the athleticism. You know what I mean? <laughs> they didn't like, they didn't install like he could do a shooting star press. Oh my gosh. You know? Go listen to a Brock promo
0: from back then though. You won't be, you won't regret it.
2: <laughs> I mean, this is certainly an interesting trio of guys. You have Kurt Angle, technical genius with an awesome moonsault. You have the big show, who is big. And then you have Brock Lesnar, who is just this athletic marvel of a human being. Uh, I will say, I think Brock's power level without the weird chest hat is much higher than Brock Lesnar with the chest hat. Despite oh, yeah. what I WWE really, booking will try and tell you otherwise. I
1: really wonder what how well non chest hat Brock Lesnar ha- would have done in the UFC. Because, you know, chest hat Brock Lesnar was. It, just ridiculous enough that he could show up and decide, Hey, I'm going to fight in the UFC and then win the title in like three fights. But do you think that non chest at Brock Lesnar gets his ass beat by Cain Velasquez? There's no no chance. First round KO. He kills Cain Velasquez.
2: But I mean, that's the one real thing that I noticed throughout the, I watched this match twice. Brock just comes off as insane the perfect wrestler if you will uh i've not heard his mic work back in this era i'm not sure if it's anything to write home about but if i'm looking at the just what he can do in the ring i'm not sure there's another guy like brock lesnar in the history of the annals of wwe big show i mean again great worker a guy that had a good long career kurt angle a guy that was incredible in his own right uh Hearing the you suck chance for Angle, let me just say, I think that's the first time we've heard them on the pod. Thank God. I need to hear them soon because I was tired of hearing the classic Kurt Angle entrance theme without the you suck chance. It's just not the same. They kind of did it at the end. A little bit. A little, L- little bit. A little bit. Um, The trash can lit spot, J- uh, Jake, I'm happy you mentioned it because that's one of my favorite spots, too, in this match. Um, Because we all know that they don't do chair shots to the head anymore, which is... Uh, Understandable yet upsetting, uh, upsetting. But I feel like a trash can lid, lid to the head. You probably could still get away with that nowadays, right? It's not as hard. Like it, it's essentially just like a baking sheet, the way they have it in WWE.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not even that. It's like it's like the uh, the aluminum foil like baking pans that yes. like you make
2: rolls in. That's more so what it is. And it makes a great sound too. Just that. L- oh like, yeah. that ring. Uh, that F five on Big Show. Holy crap. Again, when I say Brock Lesnar is a guy that looks like he can do anything in the ring, it's because he can do anything in the ring. Not just do power yeah, moves like yeah. that. But the way he sells in the ring too. Because not only can he do a bunch of crazy moves, but he could sell the offense too. Like, he sells the hell out of that big show leg drop just like having an absolute spasm. Uh, the German suplex that uh, Kurt hits that Brock ends up flipping in the air. That's It's just... That shouldn't be allowed. A guy that size should not be able to move like Brock Lesnar, should not be as agile as Brock Lesnar, but here he is as Brock Lesnar. Can I Can I just mention something about Brock Lesnar that doesn't actually have anything to do with this match?
0: Because you just made me laugh about it. Uh, he was wrestling. I need to see who it was. Um, I can't remember, but he goes... Uh, hold on. I think it, it might have been Roman, actually. And you just hear him go welcome to Suplex City, bitch, on the hot mic.
1: It was against Cena.
0: Cena, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you hear him on the hot mic just go, welcome to Suplex City, bitch. And I think that is one of the funniest lines in wrestling I've ever
1: heard. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was, like, it was because of that that they did the Suplex City gimmick. Oh, it absolutely was. And that's part of the reason
2: that I love it. Uh, Arguably a solid gimmick, if not for the fact that that's like one of two moves that he does in our match anymore, which that's the biggest failure of Brock Lesnar. And I'm not sure how much he has a role in it in terms of like what the match ends up being, but it's a shame that we've had what, when did Brock Lesnar come back to the WWE 2012? The first time. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had, we've had eight years now of Brock Lesnar in WWE where he's just a top guy, top heel. And his matches never really changed from suplex, 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 F five finisher, spam, garbage. I'll say. Because I would say.
1: Th- I would say this birth- though. Go I ahead. think he's had some kick ass matches this the, run. The Daniel yeah, Bryan I mean, one was pretty. A good. lot of a lot of AJ, like like yeah. sort of the baseline of it is like suplex spam, suplex spam, suplex spam. But you've seen him in some great matches over the last you know five years. I mean. The AJ match was phenomenal. The Daniel you Bryan match, so. match was phenomenal. The four way, the, the SummerSlam four way with Braun, Samoa Joe, and Roman Reigns was one of the most singularly entertaining matches I've ever watched in my entire life. And the Royal Rumble triple threat with Cena and Rollins, one of my favorite WWE matches of the decade. Like he's been in some awesome matches. Like he's had a lot of those suplex spam, finisher spam matches. I think that kind of just goes into like, he's been booked in a repetitive way, but yeah. a lot of his
2: individual matches have been still really, really, really good. When they give him that time to work as like an actual wrestler and not just an attraction. Yeah. He puts on great matches. The problem yeah. is they treat him at more of an attraction than a wrestler. And I feel like that just really kind of goes back to the way he's been booked. I mean, he's ended up in a lot of Like, over
1: the past few years, it's been him refuting with the same people. He's in these matches with Roman Reigns where they just kind of get booked, like, finisher spam matches. And then he's in these matches with, like, Braun Strowman where it's going to be finisher spam matches. And it's, like, just kind of not much to them. And, I mean, Goldberg, too. And I thought some of the Goldberg matches were cool. But, like, it's, again, the same kind of match where it's, like, they put him in with these guys and that's just how they're booking the match. And then it just kind of ends up being a little unsatisfied.
2: And Goldberg, well, we could talk about him. We had him proper previously, so it wasn't right to talk about it. But like, he should be a guy that's putting people over now, and they're still booking him at 53 like he's Brock Lesnar, which is, you know, you want to know why WWE can't create stars? Look no farther. Speaking of that, I mean, someone that I compare to, and I kind of feel like this with Big Show – he felt like he deserved to be on this card and be in this paper, uh, in the main event spot. But at the same time, you could tell that he's not really over with the crowd, one way or another. And I think he's supposed to be the big bad heel, but he's not getting really any heat. And I just compare him to like Braun Strowman now, where yeah, Braun was really over early on, but they never pulled the trigger. It feels like Big Show was another guy that would have went over really, really well at a certain point in time, but they never pulled the trigger on them yeah. agreed yeah <laughs> just one of those things man that's how it is
1: but so that will wrap up the card so that will move us on to our two and a half marks Ooh, can i go first yes go first jacob let's go
0: all right so i'm giving out my half mark it is a negative half mark and i'm giving it to scripted wwe promos we didn't really talk a whole lot about the promos here, but there was one that just really caught my attention, and it was one line, and I just hated it. After the Benoit-Eddie match, we cut backstage to Vince and Stephanie, and Vince says the line, and as you know, your mother, my wife, Linda McMahon, and then like, <laughs> <laughs> I love the way just normal people talk
1: when they're with their family.
0: This you is know, how I mean, normal people talk, and that's the only example I have from this entire show because I couldn't stop thinking about how he said, and you know, your mother, my wife, Linda.
1: Wait, normal people <laughs> like, don't speak like that. Really? No, I, sure <laughs> as hell don't. As uh, like, you know, your brother, my son, Connor Long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, shout out to Connor. Uh, it's just, I hate it, okay? It's so bad. <laughs> Um, I don't know if anybody listening to this watches what culture stuff, but I do. And Simon Miller always says nobody talks like that. It's because nobody talks like that. And it's bad, okay? Um, moving on, I'm going to give my one mark to mom jeans. Did you guys notice anybody wearing mom jeans? Because JBL, Farouk, and Funaki oh, all yeah. had mom jeans on. <laughs> and JBL is just out kicking ass. And a T-shirt tucked into his mom jeans with cowboy boots on, and you want to talk about some power levels? I think that's a high power level. And J- Funaki, <laughs> Go ahead. JBL in
1: 2003 is wearing these like high-waisted mom jeans, <laughs> like like it, like an art school girl in New York City in 2020.
0: <laughs> he, oh my god, he's dressed exactly like that in 2003. It's great. Um, and Funaki too. He had him on too. He he made him look kind of good though. And my final two marks are going to go to old WWE belts. The old tag belts were gorgeous. Facts. Okay. The the new ones that have like the, uh, or I, I think this was the the version before the ones we got now. Um, they were, they had like the r- Centurion soldiers on it. Do you know
2: what I mean? I was going to say like yeah. the Spartan helmets.
0: Yeah. And like, they, I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense for that. It wasn't like, like they, like this, they didn't fight in pairs. You know what I mean? Um, the WWE Championship I thought looked good here too. Um, I, I wish Big Gold had been on here so I could talk about that more, but I just think that the old style of belts is just really missing. Um, and I thought, I think that they always looked super good back then. Um, and I think the tag belts alone warranted my two marks to the old WWE belts
1: hmm yeah David go ahead I'll go next okay so my half mark I already talked about this a little bit but I'm gonna give my half mark to the Eddie Guerrero lowrider I talked about it I've said there's never been a bad entrance where somebody entered on a motorized vehicle but seeing Eddie Guerrero come out in the lowrider seeing him pop the lowrider on the stage just being so cool it's just one of those things that makes you so profoundly sad Eddie's not here anymore because he was so cool and just so much fun to watch him do anything. And that entrance is one of the great entrances in the history of wrestling. My one mark goes to singlet tag teams, the world's greatest tag team, American Alpha, the Steiner brothers. Is there a tag team of guys who wear singlets that has ever not kicked ass? Jake, I asked you directly. Are you even paying attention right now? I'm asking you a question. i sorry. I thought you were about to ask me the question. I just asked you the question. What was the question again? I'll answer it. Has that. there ever been a tag team of dudes who wore singlets that didn't kick ass? No. Yeah. Can't think of one. I said world's greatest tag team, Steiners, American Alpha. Scott Steiners. Yeah. American it's- Alpha. It's never – they've always kicked ass every single time. And then my two marks, WWE multi-man hoss matches. I think this is a particular genre of match that WWE does better than anybody else where you put four, three or four big guys in a ring and then just have them like do 10 to 15 minutes – Of them just slamming each other through the announce table and just doing big moves and just beating each other to hell and have that be fast paced for about 10, 15 minutes. I think that is a particular genre of match that WWE does better than anybody else. I thought they did it great in this match. I thought they did it, you know, what I mentioned it before the SummerSlam four way a couple of years ago with Lesnar, Roman, Braun, and uh, Samoa Joe. uh, Samoa Joe. Hmm. which was one of the most entertaining matches I've ever seen in my entire life. Like that is a type of match because I mean, because WWE employs so many big guys, nobody else can really quite do it like them. And every now and then they let those big guys off the hook and let them do some cool stuff and just go. And it's
2: so much fun. And you don't really see that everywhere else. Angelo. All right, uh, saving the worst for last, uh, let's go with the half mark, the guy I pretty much marked out for the most on this uh, episode. It's going to be John Cena, Doctor of thugonomics. I mean, from the throwback jerseys to the really corny rhymes, I mean, this is my real first introduction to thugonomics proper, and it was just so awesome to see, and it was makes me clamor for like uh it made really happy when they brought it back for a one-time wrestlemania thing with Elias uh that Cena comes out pretty much just disses on Elias then leaves it was just so much fun as a seeing Cena as a heel something that we never really see throughout the rest of his career just an impressive showing by the young John Cena uh going off to now to my one mark and it feels wrong to give him the one mark, but that's because we have an exception for the two mark. Uh, one mark's going to Brock Lesnar. The guy works his ass off in his ma- this match. Mm. And as someone that started watching wrestling uh, in 2007, 2006, I never really had a Brock Lesnar memory before he came back to the WWE. And when he came back to the WWE, I mostly remember him for finisher spam and then one to two good matches every two years. This version of Brock Lesnar that we see here without Paul Heyman, without the overbooking, without just being spam, 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 is impressive. Does he have a diverse move pool? Not really. But the moves that he does do and the selling that he does is just downright incredible. I mentioned that German suplex where he flips in the air. That kind of athleticism you just don't find. And he's like 6'3", 250 at least. And the guy's doing stuff like that. So the one mark's going to Brock Lesnar. The two marks, the guy who showed out the most on this card and probably the reason why the rest of the card was tainted, Eddie Guerrero. Again, he has the entrance. He's got the theme music, Latino Heat. He's got Taz on commentary, losing his mind about Latino Heat. He's doing a bunch of heel stuff. He's trying to cheat to win. He has the frog splash. Again, a guy that's just a damn shame that he's not around today because... A guy that he could absolutely still be working today, a la Jericho. But the match he put on with Chris Benoit is just downright incredible. He gets a little promo spot later on in the uh, pay per view, and it seems like I know he. Uh, it seems like he's faking his Hispanic accent almost. I know he doesn't, but it seems like he's being extra with it, and I appreciate that as far as his character goes. And it was just incredible. I think Eddie. The more I see Eddie, the more I want to see Eddie, and he's gonna get my two marks for tonight. Mm. You know, Absolutely. I always talk about that Eddie Brock match as I love that match.
1: I really want to get no way out. 2004 at some point. I want to get or, it
0: or the Eddie versus JBL match. The, the Texas, Texas
1: bull rope match or something like yeah. that. The only good strap match in the history of wrestling. The and we know because
0: we watched Hogan versus Vader.
1: Yeah. And that was uh, not good. <laughs> yeah. Not good. All right. So that'll bring us to our last business. We're hitting the randomizer as I pull it up and find out what we're watching next week. What are you
2: guys calling? I just told you. I know what I want. Give I me Eddie. I, yeah, give me some more Eddie. I think that's what I want. But real quick, again, follow us at two and a half marks on Twitter. You can find our stuff on Anchor, Spotify, SoundCloud. Actually, not SoundCloud anymore, but uh, <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Uh, and shout out to our fans in Washington, who are is our biggest fan base currently. What? Yeah, most Damn. of our listens come from Washington.
0: If That's... you're
2: if you're listening to the podcast, please reach out to us. I just want to know who you are.
1: Shout I out know that we have
0: re- real live lessons. Yeah.
1: Shout out to Jay Inslee, man, big Jay Inslee guy. All right, so we are going back to WCW. We are okay. going to the Great American Bash 1996. Next time up, we are what? Like literally. One month before the formation of the No! NBA. We are missing out on Bash at the Beach 96 and Hogan turning heel by like four weeks. This is the pay-per-view before that. That'll
0: actually be interesting, though, to look yeah. at.
1: Great American Bash, 1996. We really haven't event. had a mid-90s uh, card, have we? Not really. We haven't really had much mid-90s no. in general. Like ninety four and ninety six, um, we really haven't. There is there is no Eddie on this card. I am uh. I am, you know, very very sad to inform you. But there is a Chris Benoit match. There is a I'm sure really awesome Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio match. Ooh, Ooh. and the main event is a one on one match. Lex Luger challenging for the WCW heavyweight title against the Giant, the Big Show. Later known as the Big Show, but in WCW, the Giant. So that will hmm. be next week, the Great American Bash, 1996. The lead up to Hulk Hogan dropping the leg on Macho Man Randy Savage. So
2: this that is what be interesting. To,
1: yeah, that is what we have to look forward to next week, Great American Bash, 1996. And so that'll do it for this episode. Of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. And for my good friends, Angelo and Glisa and Jake Wong, I am David Statman. And as always, thanks everybody for listening.